to Phil's Breakfast Metal. Um, it's me and Phil, as usual. I'm Rob. Um, and today we're talking about a bunch of Doom albums. Uh, now, the first of the albums that we're covering is one of, I think, the most interesting Doom albums out there. And it is Cathedral's The Garden of Unearthly Delights, released in 2005 by Nuclear Blast, which we were just saying is a bit weird because they don't have many Doom bands, mm. let alone ones as sort of odd as this. Um, so this uh, is, what number album is it from Cathedral? I think it's their seventh, but I can't remember. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the later albums, um, just before Last Fire and Guessing Game. Um, and it's a really interesting one, I think. I think it's probably one of their strongest, and they take an awful lot of weird influences and bring them into uh, what was sort of with some of the earlier albums, more traditional doom. And on this, I sort of feel they take an awful lot of influences from old prog some influences which are just completely out of nowhere, like children's choirs on some songs, and some influence from like a lot heavier sort of styles, like even stuff where I think I can see links to Napalm Death and punk and stuff like that, mm. um, and meld that all with quite a traditional take on Doom, which creates something really unique and interesting. Um, so Cathedral are quite an interesting band, because their vocalist Lee Dorian is the original vocalist of Napalm Death as They're well. Like- what, second vocalist or third second, yeah. if you count the bit where they were a kind of um, like old school punk band yeah. I think those demos are amazing but yeah, yeah he was on the like the first two albums yeah, yeah. Um, and then sort of left got a bit tired well, from his sort of words he said he got a bit tired of the punk scene and didn't really like the death metal direction that Napalm Death was taking at that point um, and so ended up forming Cathedral uh, with Mark Griffiths the original bass player as um, a sort of traditional Doom thing, yeah. influenced by Trouble and Black Sabbath and all sorts of bands like that. Um, but then, thankfully, as they went on, they produced some fantastic um, sort of traditional Doom albums. And then I think, really interestingly, they got weirder as they continued. And I think that album, this album's sort of the culmination of that. Yeah, I, I guess Guessing Game is the truly out there weird yeah, one. Yeah. But Guessing Game, classic double album problem. Like, it's just, just a not little, good the whole way through. Yeah, there's a little bit too much stuff, really, for it all to be that high quality. Yeah, so this this album, like, Cathedral for a like, point in time, formed in 1989, and this album came out 2005, so it's like, mm. massively down the road in their career. few lineup changes changes at this point. You've got Lee Dorian on vocals, Gaz Jennings, who's the other original member, mm. as the uh, guitarist. And then at this stage, we have Brian Dixon and Leo Smee on drums and bass. And they joined at Carnival Bazaar, which is like their yeah. third album. So they've kind of been cemented and working together for a very long time at this stage. Like, they are a ridiculously polished type band. Mm, mm. And, and, I mean, so they were one of the earliest metal bands I saw live, Cathedral. I saw them at High Voltage Festival in London. Um, and I knew, I knew bits and pieces, but I didn't know that much at that point. And they have an amazing sort of way particularly uh, bass and guitar of like doing these weird interlocking passages. The bass in Cathedral in general and on this album as well is really interesting. Like it's very, very well played, but also does some slightly weird stuff and has weird melodies that it will play at various different points, yeah. which interlocks really nicely with sort of what is often fairly standard, very heavy sort of doom riffing. Um, but then sometimes some of the riffs are actually really happy as well. Mm. On like corpse cycle on here has like this kind of happy riff and then sort of transitions into this much heavier bit. Yeah, because like Cathedral, their first album is this like really heavy, totally oppressive, mm. slow as hell, like um, very like verging on funeral doom album yeah. with Lee Doran almost like growling the vocals for it. Mm. But then the next album, Ethereal Mirror, 
they bring in all these rocking influences. The songs all get shorter. They have more catchy melodies. Lee starts doing what could be described as singing by some. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Lee Dorian's vocals are a bit of a point of contention for a lot of people. Because <laughs> he, he can do some great harsh vocals um, and he can still do really good stuff like that. He's, I mean, he can't really sing, but I really like his style of clean vocals. Like, he, he will be out of tune a fair amount of the time. But particularly this album, I think it works beautifully. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has this weird sort of midpoint. like Not really a midpoint, but it's clean vocals, but there's often quite a lot of aggression to them. It's just not really done in a harsh way, which just makes him sound really unique. There's no one else who really sounds like Lee Dorian. But yeah, I think he is like most people's sticking point on getting into this band, because mm. otherwise you've got a lot of really catchy things going on, like... Gaz's like uh, guitar playing is spectacular, both yeah, yeah. both rhythm wise and he writes some amazing solos yeah, on this album. Yeah. Um, and actually, because I mentioned it earlier, um, Corpse Cycle is quite a fun one because it is basically sort of a, a song about going on the tube and how it's destroying our way of life and society <laughs> is crushing us. Um, but yeah, um, and this, yeah, sort of with that, like some of the lyrical themes on this, like a verge on sort of quite fun to just really weird. Uh, particularly on The Garden, which is the massive, I think it's 26 minutes or something like that. Yeah, so it might be an idea at this point actually to get into the, the structure of this album. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we have like an intro track and then sort of the four following tracks are all quite straightforward, like five minute rock mm. songs. Um, especially the aforementioned Corpse Cycle, which is very rocky, like yeah. as Rob says, quite happy riffs paired with lyrics about how office work's horrible yeah. which is quite, quite interesting and, and it's, it starts off with a little sort of voiceover from the tube in london which is weird because i hear that and i'd like i i've been on that line a lot i recognize that but yeah yeah definitely but like after that the album just like goes quite strange after having quite a normal mm. build-up we get fields of zagara is like a two-minute instrumental then the epic aura of the manslayer comes in which yeah. is like which had like giant super heavy song with like a three minute instrumental passage in the middle and it's like the the way the song begins as well is like it just throws you straight into this really aggressive like for cathedral or for doom bands mm. in particular this song is fast yeah, uh, yeah you know like it's not fast if you're a thrash metal band for a doom band this is you know this is almost completely unheard of a song that's quite this quick yeah um, yeah yeah it just starts off on this really aggressive note and Dorian's vocals are like even more aggressive on this song. Um, Upon Azriel's Wings may be close, but Aura the Manslayer is definitely the most aggressive thing on this album. And then, then the album just takes an even weirder turn with Beneath Funeral Sun, which is yeah. like another five minute track, but it just goes all over the place. Like <laughs> it, it never sticks to a certain style. Like it starts off as like kind of doom, but then as I was mentioning, it was like a choir of children at one yeah, point. Yeah. Or, which, which then verges back into Lee Dorian's vocals and then comes back into this heavy riff and then doesn't there never stays still. And then, then ends with like their Black Sabbath tribute of just <laughs> essentially doing the outro from Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that leads into The Garden, which is this enormous epic song split into like eight or nine parts in the um, handbook, uh, which, you know, I think starts off with like some just sort of um, distorted guitar noise goes into this sort of clean guitars and female vocals and then cuts into this like super heavy riff and then for the rest of the song we'll proceed to like dance around through all these different styles um, and despite how long it is I think it really works I'd say like it's, it's 27 minutes and I'd say it is all good the one criticism and I think this is kind of fine of the way they've done it 
is essentially it's not a 27 minute long song it's like eight There's... little songs that are vaguely thematically yeah in. yeah but the thing that I find when I'm listening to it as well is like I'll forget that there's this certain bit in it but it, I mean it is very much is a song there'll be this certain riff that you get to it's like oh yeah it's got this bit in it this bit's really good um, but it does somewhat feel like a lot of songs put together into one longer one yeah but it's quite a spectacular thing because if you cut the garden off this this would still be a great album yeah, like yeah. the album's 70 minutes long and and he's pretty much good for its entire runtime. yeah yeah which is crazy for a 70 minute long album yeah right? yeah it's almost unheard of particularly considering they've gone for this sort of cram a whole bunch of songs together into one super long song as well mm. and have managed to not only keep that really consistent but keep the rest of the album like consistently good throughout yeah yeah I think he does other things because we've got so many, um, so much material here. It does other thing where the, the lyrical themes never stick stick on one topic. Yeah. It is all over the place. So like you've got North Berwick witch trials, which is just your classic kind of doom song about witch trials. Yeah, people which, burning witches, yeah. Which like every doom band has to yeah. have one of those. Um, like and then like Aura the Manslayer is like some concept about a, a weird warrior rising up and killing all the rich people yeah yeah and then the garden is a giant concept about the garden of eden like, <laughs> yeah. again but yeah the other bands we're covering a lot of these subjects are going to come up yeah again. <laughs> yeah quite often um there's, there's a couple of cool things as well on this so um one thing i'd like to point out um upon asriel's wings uh, we were talking about this the other day and i was saying the main riff in this feels as if it's a celtic frost riff mm. it's really odd and yet it's in this sort of it's in this like trad doom context, and particularly on this album, I feel Cathedral have taken a lot of influence from bands with a lot heavier sensibilities. Like even in Or the Manslayer has an almost punk feel because it's fast and aggressive. Mm. Um, and there's bits where I'm like, this could almost work with properly harsh death metal vocals over it. And Lee Dorian sort of leans towards that a little bit in his delivery. So I think it's really interesting that they've taken like a lot of different heavy genres and mixed them into doom. Yeah, yeah. And Doom's super aggressive, which it often isn't. It's more sort of laid back. And it's, it's, this seems to be just an experiment they did on this album, because they never, like, the the two follow-ups, they don't really do that again. They, no, no. They Like, I really wish they'd tried more of the Upon Asriel's Wings style, because yeah. that track has some incredible bits where, essentially there's riffs built up of just a single yeah. heavy note. Like, they'll just, yeah. like, do this really slow kind of chug on just one chord and the song ends with just the same yeah, yeah. chord, like, <laughs> ringing out, which sounds like it'd be shit, but it's utterly brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's good enough that they led, that was the single they kind of led sales of the album of. I discovered this band through that song, like, on a free Metal Hammer CD. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird way to be introduced to them, but yeah, it's really cool. And it's in this, like, we're going to do an episode on this at some point, and it definitely plays into my theory of 2005 being an absolutely yeah, epic definitely. year for metal. <laughs> they, they seemed, like, I remember, like, this, like, coming right near the top of a lot of album of the mm, year lists, mm. which you have to remember as well, back in 2005, Doom wasn't cool. Doom's no, only got no. cool in the, like, the last four years or so, I think. Because <laughs> back then, the only two bands in Doom that really sold albums were Candlemass and Cathedral. Yeah. For some, yeah. <laughs> despite Cathedral's weirdness, and I think it's just because they formed early and had a like vaguely famous member. Yeah, yeah. Like somehow they got quite big, and like mm. listening to this. It doesn't make sense they got huge, because yeah, yeah. it's so weird. <laughs> Somehow, like, one of the weirdest bands in Doom ended up being one of the biggest. But, um, 
Yeah, definitely. Because there are a whole bunch of other albums, and again, we'll talk about this, that are brilliant, but a lot of which are like brilliant in a weird way as well. Yeah. And like taking uh, genres and doing odd things with them and mixing them with other sort of influences, which is really cool. Yeah, like a lot, like they really enjoy the kind of 60s psychedelia stuff, and like yeah, a lot of yeah. that slips in, especially like Ethereal Mirror. There's a lot of elements of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Less so on this album, actually. Like it's more, more kind of playing towards like just general hard rock tropes for a lot of the songs, or like just weird metal stuff yeah sort of more extreme metal as well which is mm. sort of weird mixes to put together but it, they do, I think they do pull it off yeah the other thing with this is like you've got a really solid production job like Cathedral yeah. for the last few albums got a really nice sound out mm. of everything like super crisp like everything can be heard really well but it still sounds heavy it doesn't sound sterile or over yeah the guitar tone just Cathedral in general like they have a certain I mean a lot of Doom bands will have this where they have their guitar tone which no one else really sounds like and Cathedral are no exception their guitar tone is excellent and yet sounds you know a bit distinct and allows them to do a lot of these sort of more Rocky inspired riffs and work them just as well alongside a lot of these really heavy riffs too oh yeah yeah without having to you know completely switch up your guitar tone for it and like a Leo Smee's bass playing and like the sound he gets is just incredible in this yeah. thing. Because like, considering Cathedral like one of the old guard sort of doom bands, they're one of the only ones where the bass massively diverges. Because you think like mm. Candlemas, mm. you never really hear Lee Felding doing anything that isn't propping up the riffs. Same is true of Trouble and Invitus for the most yeah. part. And, and for most doom bands that works like really well. Mm. It just locks the whole thing into this one sort of monolithic mass of sound. And you know a lot of the time that's what doom is. But Cathedral go all over the place with it, and it works really well. Like there's a great, there's a great bit. I think he's in Aura of the Manslayer where he sort of like the riffs about to get heavy, and he sort mm. of signals it by doing these really fast slides. Yeah, and because of the way it's mixed, it just picks like it just comes out of it, and it really drives a lot of the songs. Yeah, because the way it interlocks with the guitar and the fact that you can work out exactly what each is doing at every time, and yet they're still able to lock together to get something super heavy out of it. Uh, really helps this album massively. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, some other. I think, yeah, I guess the other thing I'd say about the production is it sounds like a band playing live, which is it does. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I think it's helped by like the inner cover. If you open the, the booklet up, is all of them like in studio recording yeah, together, yeah. wearing some amazing jumpers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's about all we have to say about Garden of Unearthly Delights. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, we should probably um, say kind of what happened after this, because Cathedral split in 2013. Yes. Um, Lee and Leo both went on to form With the Dead. With the Dead, yeah. With, with uh, one of the old bass players of Electric Wizard. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. The guy who was on all the classic Wizard mm, albums. Mm. I've, I've not really got into With the Dead, because it, it has the problem Last Spire, the final Cathedral album, had of being too based around Lee's vocals. Yeah. And Lee's vocals are a hard sell at the best of times, so if they don't work... Yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting after this album. So I think possibly the album where Lee's vocals work the best is The Guessing Game after this. And as we say, it does have sort of the problem of being a double album having a bit too much. But they did it in sort of a weird way where there are sort of these almost spoken word poetry parts in it. And that works for him really well. Um, and it works on this album really well as well, uh, and particularly with the slightly more aggressive edge. But then this album has these really long instrumental sections too. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, like they sort of they experimented in a different way after this album, as we've said. They sort of went down this weird proggier sort of sixties psychedelia route. Mm. Um, and I haven't actually listened to the last Spire. I didn't but, um, like it. I yeah. re- I remember really disliking it, which is weird because I've not had another Cathedral album I've not got on board with at least yeah. partially. But yeah, this one I just didn't get into it. Mm. But I only listened to it like twice, so maybe that's me. Um, yeah, I should also mention like the general package of the album. Because every Cathedral album has artwork by um, an artist who lives down the road from Lee called um, mm. Dave Pratchett. And he does these kind of sort of uh, Hieronymus Bosch-esque yeah. like, collages of very, very unsettling imagery. Yeah, yeah. Like these amazing kind of, there's lots of playing with perspective and just, yeah, just strange kind of hellscapes. Like they are, they're amazing to look at. Like, I don't know that this is necessarily one of the best ones, but I like all the Cathedral yeah, it covers. Is, it is just a weird thing to look at. There's a lot to unpick, because every sort of bit of it is actually something. It's not just, like, because this one's sort of based around uh, the Garden of Eden. Um, and there's all sorts of, like, weird bits on it which look like plants, but they're not actually plants. There's eyes and stuff on them. So, yeah, weird artwork, but quite interesting. And the other ridiculous uh, part of this album is apparently the disc is apple-centred. Yeah. <laughs> like, my, yeah. my copy is about 13 years old, so... Well, no, it would be 12, yeah. Um, so the so... scent's gone, but... <laughs> but it was a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so from this album, we thought we'd play probably the highlight... Um, Aura the Manslayer. This is juggling with Upon Asriel's Wings for the heaviest, but mm. certainly has the best instrumental section yeah, and one of like yeah. Gaz Jennings' best ever solos. Yeah, it's a fantastic solo.
second album that we're covering is a much more recent one. Um, and this is an album released in 2016 from Chemis, um, Colorado-based uh, doom band. Uh, this is Hunted, uh, released on 20 Bucks Spin. Now, Chemists are one... One of the reasons I wanted to pick them is I sort of found them after we'd done our 2016 list and then thought, ah, this is a really good album. So I sort of wanted to say, like, we, we found a whole bunch of albums I still think are brilliant from our 2016 list, but there were a whole bunch of other albums that, you know, for whatever reason we missed, just didn't find this loads of stuff out there that is also really good. Now, I don't know if this would have made the list, but it definitely would have been close and definitely would have been in the honourable mentions, if not. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was weird. We completely missed this yeah. band. Um, yeah, so they formed 2012, and this is their second album. Mm. Yeah, so following um, Absolution in 2015, which is also worth going back and looking at. It's also a very good album. Um, the main difference between that and this one, why I think this one's probably my favourite, um, is... So not only they've got more confident as musicians, and I think this album is tighter than Absolution. It's it's not particularly long, and it's split it's really into short um, for a doom album. It's five songs, I think. Five songs, forty four minutes. Which yeah. for, like I rarely get a doom release, like, especially recently. It's under an hour. Yeah. So and they've managed to really tighten this up, and even with they've got I think one fourteen minute song on this, but everything is really tight. There doesn't feel like there's a wasted riff or wasted space on this album. And also the one thing, the other thing that's changed. Clean vocals have got far more confident and been a bit more prominent on this album as well. Well, ridiculously so, in that, like, because they have two, like, their lineup is four guys, um, bass player, drummer, and two guitarists. Uh, ben does growl vocals, and mm. Phil, the other guitarist, does clean vocals. And the first track, Above the Water, is entirely clean vocals. Yeah, yeah. So I came to this band completely completely blind and put on the album, and it wasn't until 10 minutes into the album, like, the second track, <laughs> Candle. Candlelight, where Ben comes in with these really guttural yeah, yeah. screams. You're like, where the hell did that come from? I wasn't <laughs> expecting... I thought they just had one singer because I hadn't done any sort of research yeah, at the time. Yeah, so, so the first song, um, it's Above the Waters, mm. and they do a really nice... At least to me, and a lot of doing bands get this, particularly bands like Ahab as well, um, it does the really nice thing of having that heaviness feel sort of like the pressure of water coming down on you. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about this album is that it does a really good job of creating atmosphere often through sort of uh, these almost new wave of British heavy metal-influenced guitar leads that they add on to these super big riffs. Riffs that, like, wouldn't be out of place in High on Fire or Conan or something like that. And then they have these almost, like, new wave of British heavy metal leads and manage to marry them together to create this, like, really cool atmosphere. Um, sometimes it's sort of... Uh, very epic, um, slow doom style, um, and sometimes that's kind of creepy and sinister doom. And I think they do that really well. Combine that with the fact they can switch between these harsh vocals that you don't normally hear in a sort of trad doom band like this, and these really sort of confident, again, almost new wave of British heavy metal or sort of Mastodon Baroness style clean vocals. Yeah, I think um, Baroness are definitely a good comparison point for this yeah, band. Yeah, they've got a lot of sort of Baroness influences, but these guys managed to switch between the super heavy and the super melodic really easily because they've got all this flexibility in what they can do. The, the main thing, actually, we haven't mentioned about this that is really important. This album is completely based around incredible leads. Like, yeah, like yeah. not just solos, but like just there's lead melodies throughout the whole thing, and they're all brilliant. They are yeah, so yeah. well written that it is such a kind of catchy and engaging album, and so much of that is the lead guitar, which in the way that's mixed and the way it's written is totally the standout point. Like, yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, and they and they do get this crushing heaviness as well, particularly um, intros like the intro of Three Gates, which has this awesome like heavy riff with the I think the most harsh vocals that we get on this album. Uh, they can just do that with the melody at the same time, and I think that really adds to the whole package. I think they like because I watched a few interviews with them. Um, mm. They were saying this album they'd actively basically tried to do what they'd done with the last album and just cut all cut it down. Hence okay, why yeah. we've got this short runtime and. It's perfect. I wish more bands would work like this. Yeah, like, yeah. Trimming an album down to 44 minutes. Because 44 minutes is still a long time. Yeah, right? yeah. But you just end up with this really tight package where you can go back and you can drop in at any point to it and you will really love the bit that you get to. Mm-hmm. And each bit is, each song is slightly different from all the others, so it has its own character and yet feels cohesive within this unit. And yeah. it's all high quality. I think the other like departure from kind of trad doom writing here is it's very very riffy. Like there's a yeah, lot of yeah. each song has a lot of parts. There's n- for doom there's not much repetition of bits. Like you've got repeating choruses and so on, but it's less coming back to the same huge riff. And they do have huge riffs, but like each sort of um, I was sort of thinking of it as like each riff sort of serves a purpose within the song and moves it forwards, um, which is again like just a writing style you see less in doom. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, I don't like because I did a bit of uh, looking up the other members. There's, they all seem to. This seems to be their main project. I think they've mm. all come to it pretty, um, pretty recently and don't have a lot of other um, metal cred outside of it. But my god, if they kind of eat that out now, this yeah, is like, yeah. If like, they're if they're going to keep going in this sort of vein, they're going to be really interested to see what they put out. Yeah, definitely. I think the the kind of style they've gone for is very like. It just seems to work. This kind of very lead-driven, still heavy as hell doom, but then condensed down is just mm, mm. yeah. It, it's I don't know why this is rare actually, but it, yeah, yeah, it did seem like I can't think of an obvious like comparison band because I like, say bands like Baroness like. There's a similarity in sound, but they don't have that kind of lead guitar to the same extent. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Baroness never really quite got as heavy as this. Mm. Um, yeah, it's sort of mainly like the vocals that really reminded me of Baroness, um, and the rest of it comes from a much more sort of traditional Doom place. Yeah. Um, also, like the speed of their writing is ridiculous because they've had two albums released yeah. in two years, and they're they've already I think written most of the next album, mm. which they're going to record <laughs> next year. So, they, oh yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you don't see this kind of release schedule since like the seventies, where you get Black <laughs> Sabbath's first five albums. I think it took six years in total. Yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, it's so rare to see a band release albums like without a two-year gap. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. Other interesting fact, drummer Zach runs the True Brewing Company in Denver. <laughs> True spelled uh, with a V. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, they're, yeah, they're a metal-themed beer company. Which, oh, that's really cool, yeah. Yeah, or, or they have like artwork for all their, their beers that look like album covers. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Actually, it, yeah, the album cover of this I really like as well. It's really good, it's isn't got, it? So they've got the same figure as they have on um, Absolution, which is just sort of this like bearded, um, old fantasy-style figure. Um, and this one's sort of got horses and stuff all over the front of it, like done in these sort of pastel colours. It's a, re- it's quite different from most, you know, album covers that I've seen. I really like the individual style that it's got. Yeah, it, it's, um, it actually reminds me of Bolt Thrower's uh, Warmaster cover. Oh but yeah, but like yeah. if that was way le- if that was like way less kind of messy <laughs> and with like that kind of battle scene that doesn't quite make yeah, sense. Yeah. It's that sort of style of artwork, mm, mm. but yeah, with like kind of. It very much looks like a kind of D&D set of enemies or yeah, something. Yeah. It seems like this sort of um, 
bearded, being the merciless type guy is almost their mascot at this point because he's been on the first two album covers. Well, so we'll see if he keeps popping up. On <laughs> yeah, the next see if he's going to become chemist Eddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like the the only other like sort of part with this album. I mean, well, it's it's got a, quite a few deviations between the song, but the final track, Hunted's essentially the one where it gets a bit different just by mm. being a 14 minute long epic it's yeah, more yeah. more kind of sprawling and got more atmospheric passages than the rest um actually the whole album does have this kind of weird variation because as we were saying before above the water's kind of entirely clean vocal then mm. candlelight you get this really heavy kind of i don't know not funeral doom but like death doom middle yeah, section yeah it's a really death doomy section that's just sort of within it yeah yeah it's 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 very strange, and Ben has quite a good ability to really vary up his vocals. Like mm. he does these kind of lower guttural screams, and then can do some kind of like high pitch, more like black metal vocals. Yeah, yeah. Which I think um, the track we're going to play, Free Gates, definitely showcases yeah, a bit showcases of both. Yeah, a lot of that. Um, and there's all. I mean, I mean, black metal is a bit of a weird sort of thing to uh, compare this to, but particularly with how some of the guitar riffs and some of the leads help build atmosphere. I think there's certainly some form of influence in there, be it conscious or unconscious, because uh, there's some really sort of, um, at the beginning of Above the Waters as well, it's got these sort of like quite sinister groove to it, and they do that in a really nice way where they can just sort of conjure up these different emotions through the sort of standard toolkit of a doom band, yeah, uh, which I think yeah. sets them apart quite a bit. Like, it takes a lot of writing skill to do something like that with this lead guitar. Yeah, definitely, and like I think it owes to the fact they're drawing stuff down, so the lead guitar mm. bits are just so perfect. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, they clearly really work on it. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't even say it's particular highlights of the album. The whole thing is just good. It just flows as one continuous piece. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it fits very, very well together. It all feels like this sort of cohesive journey through the whole bunch of different sort of influences that they have and different styles of song that they've written because actually the first couple of times I was listening to it I had no idea how many tracks were on it yeah. like, you <laughs> can't really see the transition it's just quite yeah. a nice like you know solid piece which mm. really works for Doom because Doom's the kind of genre you want to just sit down and absorb an album and get into the atmosphere and yeah yeah if, yeah, if you're not noticing transitions and stuff that's kind of perfect yeah yeah and obviously because you could you wouldn't have to spend an hour or two as you may with some Doom releases to absorb this one so it'll take you about 40 <laughs> minutes so yeah, I think that, I think that's a really sort of. I mean, a lot of albums that are longer, like I've got another Nerfy Delight, still work beautifully, and I don't necessarily think they should be shorter. But keeping albums at this sort of length, when it's done like right, just works so well because you end up with something which is just consistently high quality throughout. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the track we're going to play from this is Free Gates, which is just a nice like showcase of like the heavier end and then some of the more melodic stuff.
so Furban we're covering today is another new one, well, newish. Uh, this is Crip Sermon, uh, another US band as well, formed slightly after Chemist in 2013. And this is their first and only album so far, um, Out of the Garden, released in 2015 on Dark Descent Records. This is much more so than uh, Chemist, actually, in the very traditional, like, I would say. Candlemass is clearly their main yeah. influence. Like this could almost be a Candlemass album, and not just a Candlemass album, a really good Candlemass album. Um, it does have deviations and other influences, but you can feel Candlemass all over it. Yeah, it's it's just like this is an absolutely spectacular debut from a band. Like mm. the production is solid and heavy as hell. Like it the has that almost, tone is excellent. It has that almost slight muffling thing that sort of the early Candlemass and other Doom albums had. Like where there's this slight sort of fuzz on the drums and on the guitars and stuff like that. And it works so well. It conjures up this sort of timeless feel that like Epicus, Doomicus, Metallicus, and Nightfall have to them. And it, yeah, it feels like this could have been written at almost any time, and they've just got the production spot on for this sort of sound. Yeah, they, they, there is re- like all over. There is like no hint of when this came out, really. Yeah. Like yeah. so, the band is is a five piece with the standard two guitarists, drums, bass, and uh, separate vocalist, and it like it just works so perfectly like that. You look at the album cover as well; it's <laughs> it, it looks like something out of the seventies. <laughs> cover or something yeah it's got this sort of like Teutonic knight approaching a castle in the distance with this sort of beautiful uh, it's sort of coming out of a cave and this beautiful sort of vista arrayed before him and and their logo as well totally looks like an old doom band yeah, logo yeah it's old sort of metal fonts which is slightly dripping <laughs> yeah complete with candle and like right way up crucifix eternity <laughs> Which is a, is a rare choice in metal, yeah. actually. But I mean, this album, um, sort of from the covers and the art and stuff like that, down to the album itself, has this really biblical feel to mm. it, uh, which works really well because it's sort of it has that sort of timeless quality where it feels like this epic tale um, about something hugely important. And we were just flicking through the uh, book actually, and they've got artwork for each individual song. It looks like this sort of biblical bit of artwork, which really cements the atmosphere that this thing goes for of this really epic old and sort of yeah like the sort of slightly epic and slightly evil and sinister bits of like old religions and old tales and stuff like that which you know is so sort of early doom metal bands oh yeah definitely and similarly to chemists who were covering earlier this is just another album that worked because they trimmed the fat off it yeah slightly short than chemist album it's only seven tracks and none of them really outstay their welcome. They're all around the five to seven minute mark, which mm. for kind of doom songs like this is quite reasonable. Much more so than chemists, these guys go for that very um, sort of rock structure of verse, chorus, and then mm. like solo section. Like it, like they are standard rock song structures, but they do a lot within that. There's some um, really clever writing with the guitars where they do. This, I know it's a lot for the album. They do a thing of like not quite harmonizing. Like yeah, yeah. Like a leave part will play like a more complex version of like the sort of like rhythmish part, mm. but like slightly apart from each other. Yeah, you, you can hear this sort of like from the intro, like the first riff that you get. It sort mm. of comes in with one guitar, and the second guitar comes in. It's not playing the same thing. It's playing something very similar. It's not just harmonized higher up on the scale. They're like. It really sort of, it feels like this sort of mosaic of guitar parts which create this really sort of overbearing epic atmosphere to the tracks. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, although this is the first album for the band, all the members seem pretty accomplished. Like everyone 
it's come from other bands. Like, mm. I think they all, before doing this, had one or two albums under their belt somewhere. Uh, particularly uh, Will Meller, the bass player, is also in the excellent death metal band Horrendous, mm. who um, mm. I released an amazing album last year. Yet more stuff we missed. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really need to go back and do a yeah. We Were Wrong About 2016 <laughs> list. Um, and also, the, the lovely bit of trivia is... Um, Steve briefly, uh, Steve, one of the guitarists, briefly played uh, live guitar for Vector, which means he must have crazy chops. Yeah, like, again, yeah. linking back to when we talked about Vector in the 2016 mm-hmm. one, their guitar is absolutely mad. You know, incredible guitar playing on that album. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these are clearly some seasoned musicians who have sort of put this out. And, and you can tell, like, this is so well written and, as we said, sort of trimmed in every riff sort of deserves its place. And, well, they all sound like brilliant Candlemas riffs or brilliant riffs. There's not a bad one on here. Because the other big influence I found really interesting is um, uh, vocalist Brooks Wilson. Um, like, he has a real Dio influence. Big Dio well. influence, yeah. So, like, I'd sort of... Because he has these sort of, you know, these powerful operatic vocals very much like Candlemas or Dio. And I'd probably describe him as somewhere between Rob Lowe and Dio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got that sort of... And he even says Fool Fool at one point in one of the songs. So. Yeah, and uh, pronounces wind in, during uh, Into the Holiest of Holies in a way that only Dio does. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there's something... You've got to yeah. hear it, but there's something about that. It's like... Yeah, but but he's this hugely charismatic presence on this album because a lot of, you know, your old Doom albums are really carried by this sort of really over-the-top vocalist. And he does this brilliantly. Like, he really sort of drives home a lot of the messages in this with this sort of super over the top and yet very very well done sort of vocal style yeah because I, I think it's, it's it's a thing of like more traditional doom lives or dies on the vocalist mm, like mm. if if the vocalist isn't there everything else could be so good and it would and he, still yeah he has that quite nice thing of he's not quite as over the top as someone like messiah is on your um uh, the candlemas <laughs> things He's not quite that level of... Yeah, he doesn't yeah. go into the, for the like supreme like vibrato yeah. to the nth degree. <laughs> and also doesn't really do a lot of like kind of falsetto stuff. It's still relatively mid-range. He hasn't quite got the yeah, Dio yeah. super high-end or anything. Mm. It's more, yeah, more kind of traditional kind of mid-range vocals throughout. Like, and, and like lyrics that are suitably epic to work with. Looks yeah, like yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the tracks just have the perfect epi, epic, like, um, titles, like Out of the Garden, obviously a kind of, yet another Garden of Eden yeah. reference. <laughs> um, um, Temple Doors or Byzantium, they're just, they're just cool sounding. And, and there's titles. so many bits from those that whenever you sort of say the name of the song, I remember exactly the chorus bit where they're saying that because it's so catchy. Like um, a bit from Heavy Riders, Byzantium, and Out of the Garden. Like the vocal bits with the choruses are just so memorable and so sort of epic and like overblown. It's really, really good. So this does lead me to the one criticism I have of this album. Yeah. There's two tracks towards the end where the lyrics do tip over into plain silliness like into the holiness of holies like into the holy of into the holy of holies the fifth track it just sounds like a metaphor for anal sex i can't (laughs) as soon as i noticed that i couldn't yeah couldn't shift that and then the track after the master's bouquet and like the lyrics to this one are just really awkward yeah there there is a point where everything sort of drops for him like just shouting, and then they died. And it, <laughs> I don't know why this. That's like the one track on the album where, it, like, the formula doesn't quite work. Yeah, particularly because it has a lot of parts, as you said, where 
everything drops out just to have a sort of really impactful vocal moment and then there's something just a bit distracting about the lyrics in that. But after those two, we get the closer out of the garden, mm. which brings the, like, they, they save the best to last. Yeah, this. definitely. I will also, um, on Into the Holiest of Holies, uh, they've got this um, awesome sort of unsettling, like, clean guitar bits, like these really beautiful but unsettling guitar medleys, which really help set this sort of epic historical theme to what's to come. Uh, which I really like. It's lovely to have that incorporated within the rest of the really heavy riffs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just generally, like, really nice, intricate guitar passages, both um, with something which is, you know, fairly simple riffs, but they put this extra spin on it, which just adds a lot to the listening experience. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, there's some really good solos on this album as well. Mm. Like, it's not quite up to the chemist level of, like, these perfectly guitar passages, but they are really decent. Yeah. I think, as well, these guys seem to be more focused on the riffs. Like, this album is much like the kind of Candlemassing is just totally driven by catchy memorable mm. epic sounding riffs and yeah the production totally lends itself to that mm. and of course there are huge bells which are rung at some point as there would have to be on an album like this and yeah <laughs> works really well so but yeah like as much as this isn't bringing anything new to the table like just doing this so well is pretty spectacular yeah and and you know so recently where this is like just doing sort of a candle mass thing or a traditional doom thing like it's not something that's done a huge amount with that many bands particularly not something that's up to this standard of quality yeah because i think it's really hard to write those riffs yeah, so. yeah it is um and i've seen a few live videos like i like never managed to catch these guys live as of yet but they seem to be able to reproduce this mm. really well live and, and it's a sound that lends itself to live just because with riffs kind of this kind of slow paced and hefty the cut through terrible uh, live sound yeah, and yeah. you can still really enjoy it like yeah so hopefully we get a tour of them in the UK at some point soon yeah uh, have you got anything else to add on this one Rob? Um, I think that's pretty much it yeah cool so to play us out of this one we're going to go for the uh, final track from the album Out of the Garden and if you thought you'd heard silly lyrics we're covering Reverend Bazaar next <laughs>
dumping this part in somewhere because we forgot to do plugs again like we do every <laughs> episode. Um, Phil, Phil had written a series of notes to remind himself in big letters in front of him but we still forgot. So. <laughs> yeah, so the thing we wanted to do as well with this one was because we haven't done it and there's a few other podcasts that are really decent and we don't really sort often so yeah, we wanted to give a, rec- a couple of recommendations to for some other podcasts we really enjoy. Um, so Rob mentioned them before but... Um, yeah, we both really got into the Death Metal Dads podcast. Yes, yeah, so I think I miss. I think I said the name like Heavy Metal Dads or something like that. But yeah, it's Death Metal Dads, and um, the way I found it was through Aesop Decker, who we were talking about um, from Vol and also from Agalock, and I'm mainly known for Agalock, one of my favourite bands. Um, awesome drummer, been in loads of really interesting projects, and just a really um, like good drummer who I've always like really liked, and has always brought something new to projects. He and a guy called Shelby around sort of San Francisco area. They um, well, they're also in a band together called Extremity, who are also really cool. But they run a podcast about death metal and fatherly issues. Um, they've also got a whole series of like really cool guests on from all sorts of bands around there. Um, one that I found particularly interesting was they had um, 
the guy, his name has literally just escaped me, but uh, through fronts giant squid and will be fronting Corrado, which is the new Agaloc project. He was on and they had a big discussion about sort of sharks and how that influences music. And I thought that was great. So. Yeah, that was a really decent one. But yeah, it's just all, like all the episodes are pretty interesting. It's it's really funny and like this not serious dissections of things. Like it's it's more of a comedic podcast than an information one, but. Yeah, I just found it really. I, I think we should probably say as well. I think there's the third episode or so. They um, have actually a bit where they talk about um, trans issues in a really nice way. Yeah, it's because it, it's, yeah. it's the first one. If you go on the iTunes thread, it was just not what I was expecting. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. because most of it's quite light-hearted. But like, I thought the episode was genuinely, you know, really nice and really well done. Yeah, so. yeah. Like, so another two podcasts I want to plug here are way more in our kind of wheelhouse <laughs> of. Going on at length about uh, albums. Firstly, <laughs> Requiem Metal Podcast. It's a really old one. Like mm. they've been going since like oh, before 2010, I think. Um, as an archive of about 300 episodes. Essentially, we slightly ripped the format off from them. Like they basically take one album or one band and do a whole episode on that, and it's the same kind of in-depth research. Mm. Well, I say the same. It's probably more in-depth and better research <laughs> than ours. And yeah, it just has a really nice, quite serious format, and it, it's yeah, it just doesn't have the problem a lot of metal podcasts have of being a stupid clowning around, like yeah, and just sort of all over the place. Like you might come to listen because there's something about a new album that you like, and then they'll just spend ages talking about Nirvana or something. And you're yeah, like, well, I'm, I'm that's not what I'm here to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's got an actual format and structure. Yeah, and another podcast um, actually. The guys who don't run this one were taught at school by the guys from Requiem Metal. Um, but uh, this is Into the Combine, who, again, they, they get really into albums, but they have a really decent format of, like, they introduce a load of new stuff they've been listening to every week by playing, like, minute-long snippets. Like, each one of them brings an album to, like, mm. an album or three to the table, and they play like, a little snippet of a song. It's just such a good way to find new stuff, like... These guys properly troll Bandcamp for weird, interesting. Mm. Tends to be in the realm of like mellow death, um, tech death, and hardcore stuff. Like, and they also demonstrate how they have way better audio equipment than we do. They're like, good, yeah, their editing playback and yeah, <laughs> their editing stuff's fucking fantastic. Mm. And they they because of the way they like cut in with stuff. They do like a load of like fun games every so often where they'll like sort of do a kind of like guess the metal cover song and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. There's a really good episode on that. But yeah, there's, again, another one really worth checking out. Uh, the one Requiem Metal one I'll really highlight, because it's probably my favourite, is um, their History of the World According to Iron Maiden. Mm. That's really fun and really worth going back to listen to. Yeah, yeah, that one's excellent. Like, essentially, they just do uh, all the uh, Iron Maiden songs about bits of history yeah. in, in, in chrono- like what would be historical chronological <laughs> order. It's really funny. Yeah, um, Yeah, and so... Our own plugs as well. Please like, uh, like and subscribe to us. Like, if you can review us on iTunes, it'd be great to get some reviews up there. If we could get a star rating, that would be amazing. Yeah, uh, I've also got Facebook, uh, which is just Phil's Breakfast Metal, and Twitter, which is just at Breakfast Metal. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's Phil's Breakfast Metal at Gmail If you have anything, suggestions, comments, anything like that. Yeah, and if yeah. you just want to send along a message, but yeah, you do get in touch. We're yeah, we want to start a bit more of a community, and we we like discussing upcoming and interesting stuff mm. or even like yeah message us with ideas for shows like stuff you might yeah, like us to cover yeah definitely um, yeah so anyway uh, I think we'll probably put this in and now we'll start talking about uh, Reverend Bazaar
<laughs> so the final album we're covering today is the is by the biggest sellouts in True Doom. This is <laughs> Reverend Bazaar's second album, Crush the Insects. Um, it was released in 2005 as well. Mainly le- leaning into my theory, 2005 was yeah. brilliant. Um, <laughs> Uh, on uh, Spike Farm Records. So, Reverend Bazaar are a Finnish band formed in 1995 by, and they pretty much had the same lineup throughout of um, Sir Albert Witchfinder, <laughs> Father Peter Vicker, and Monsieur Earl of Void. Um, they're not their real names, but their stage names are so good, I'm only yeah. referring to them as well. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the, the idea of Reverend Bazaar, like, because obviously 95. Doom is well-established genre mm. by this time, um, was to do a band that was essentially a worship of all the fundamental elements that make up traditional Doom. So the bands that built directly on the template of early Black Sabbath, so your Trouble, St. Vitus, mm. um, like, yeah, those, like, I think it's mainly lending, trying to work with the formula of those, like, classic American, like, straightforward Doom bands, and they very much, like, try to keep those elements that tight and yeah. not stray outside that formula at all, like stay within everything traditional doom. Like they, have, they even have a note on the uh, inside the album proudly boasting that no what is it? Uh, no keyboards, synthesizers, flutes or violins used on this album. <laughs> like they are very much going for that guitar and bass driven just hefty doom with very clean vocals on top. So you've got Albert Witchfinder on bass and vocals and like adding some lead guitar stuff, Peter Vicker on guitar and Earl of Void on drums and some extra guitar. Yeah. Like yeah. I think this band is always very much like although they did play live, they were always very much envisioned as a studio project. And it does have this really because it's the sort of quintessential elements of Doom, this really stripped down feel which makes it sort of simultaneously quite simple but also super heavy as well even with bits like you know you'll get to a guitar solo the guitar solos in this are incredibly simplistic like Mm. short strings of notes and like nothing that complicated or like different but it you just have this really refined core of exactly what doom is and reverend bizarre probably one of the best bands to show people who have no idea what doom is because they just get all these elements together yeah, so similarly to um, Cathedral we were covering earlier, they have a totally unique vocalist in uh, mm. Albert Witchfinder. I I don't know quite how to explain his vocals. It's like kind of a sort of mid to low range clean singing of a Finnish guy pretending to be British. Yeah, like, guess that's a good way of describing it. And it, uh, very occasionally you'll have these ridiculous high pitched screams, mm. which they're just really fun. Um, yeah, he's he's really fun to listen to. So, yeah, definitely. Like like lyrically as well. Like really fun. The other like really notable thing about the Reverend Bazaar kind of formula is they take Doom and make it really slow. Really slow. Yeah. Like this album is actually the most. They don't. They only have three albums in their career. Um, in the rectory is a bizarre Reverend first album, a monumental double album <laughs> with some extremely slow tracks. Um, this album, Crush Insects, the second one, gets a bit more rocky in places. Yeah, particularly towards the beginning, sort of a Doom Over the World, Devil Rides Out and Cromwell, we've got sort of the f- 
fast, not really fast, but fast for their standards. Uh, tracks which have sort of your more rocky influences feel like you know a bit more Black Sabbathy. And then when you get to things like Slave of Satan and By This Axe I Rule, sort of like the beginnings of those things are really slow. <laughs> Slave of Satan is the particular kind of standout yeah. for just being ridiculous. Ridiculously slow. It's like fourteen minutes long and has about three riffs in it. Yeah, running into territory which almost seems like funeral doom, just because of how slow these riffs come by. Because they, they sort of said in interviews that the first three tracks on this album were actually them sort of deviating from the formula they'd set out because <laughs> they were a bit too rocky, and hence yeah. why they stuffed them all towards the front. So this is another much like Cathedral, monumentally long album. Of, mm. It's seventy three minutes long. Yeah, only eight tracks, and like the second half of the album, nothing short of ten minutes. Yeah, and it's that sort of thing that will trick you a bit because you'll hear the first three songs and you'll go, "Oh, this this is there's some really catchy sort of doomy riffs, fairly sort of mid tempo for a doom band, quite rocky." And then you'll go into I think Slave of Satan is the first of them, yeah. and you realise that this album becomes an entirely different beast once you get to that point. Because I, I bought this album and get like probably like two thousand six something like that because I'd heard the single Doom Over the World, yeah. which is just a very traditional, fantastically catchy, catchy Doom song. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with great lyrics all about Puritans <laughs> fighting unbelievers. <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. excellent. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I got the album, heard the first few tracks, and was totally on board. And it, then it took me about four more years to get the second half of it. I just, yeah. I just wasn't ready for Doom to get that slow. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I've really enjoyed those three tracks for quite a while. <laughs> but like, since I've come round to it, and Zelma has a really good kind of repeating formula, especially in the later tracks, of doing these huge, super slow, super mellow kind of build-ups to just... An epic payoff riff. Yeah, yeah. By the Zach's Rule is a great example of that. It sort of builds up and with the sort of story within the song, and we'll talk about the lyrics of that song in a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then builds up to this sort of like amazing sort of groovy bass that comes in and then the, everything comes back together for this really sort of driving ending. Yeah, um, yeah. So again, like just Doom Bands in general are often brilliant at knowing how to build things up and take their time for sort of maximum impact. Oh yeah, definitely. And like sort of Council of Ten is another really good example of that kind of just slow, slightly sinister riff, often really bass-driven. Mm. Like, I think, um, oh, which one is the main songwriter for most of this? And you can really see it, like, his bass playing, like, never doing anything massively complex, but really shines through, and the bass yeah, is giving yeah. such a prominent position in the mix. Um, but yeah, so Council Town's built by, like, this kind of slow, plodding thing, and then just about six minutes in of this kind of, quite slow sort of repetitive structure suddenly kicks in with like this huge really catchy riff like everything speeds up gets heavier and just like the songs keep doing this thing of like the payoffs are always really good if yeah, you're willing yeah. to get through six minutes of slow build up <laughs> uh yeah like this they, we have to get to the lyrics because yeah, the, this is um <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, there are some... I don't know. So I find this album, overall, the lyrics are really good and really fun. Uh, you know, it doesn't take itself super seriously. There's these sort of, um, you know, talking about Puritans and Oliver Cromwell and all this stuff like that. It's very silly, but it's very fun. And you sort of get the idea from how it's sort of written in as well that it's not meant to be taken 100% seriously. Um, this is fun. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, um, the, the lyrical themes do kind of dodge about through all the classic... Um, like classic doom categories so we've got 
second track, Devil Rides Out, is all about, you know, summoning the devil yeah. and, and even taking its name from, I assume, the uh, the film. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, Cromwell, a weird one, a song about, like, a specific bit of English history, which is quite strange for a Finnish yeah, band to do. Yeah, um, quite an interesting one, yeah. And, yeah, the lore of Cromwell. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the slave for Satan, obviously more Satanism. Council of Ten, all about witch trials. Yeah, which, yeah. another topic. By the Saxo Rule is an amazing one where it, we get yeah. to see um, how it's, Albert it's a story within a song. Really, <laughs> yeah. It's sort of this whole build-up of him taking a girl back to his house, and it all culminates in um, I'll quote: uh, "You're waiting for me to caress you gently. I spray your blood all over the place." It's, it's brilliant like it's just it's great because the story perfectly works in the build up as well because it's really slow plodding <laughs> bass riff with him sort of talking like sort of discussing him talking to this character and then about like sort of six minutes in again everything kicks off and his character suddenly produces an, an axe <laughs> and just murders this woman <laughs> and, then, and then the final two minutes of the song the riff kind of like sort of starts falling apart and Albert's vocals just descend into like nonsensical squealing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing. And then you've got stuff like the final track, which, again, one of my favourite song titles, <laughs> Fucking Wizard, <laughs> um, is all about a horny necromancer. Yeah. And again, just this is the one where I'm, and it's a shame it ends the album, where I'm not quite sure the payoff is worth it because it's quite a long track. And the, the final riff, like the heavy part, mm. they go for a bit of a weird, like staccato rhythm to it, and yeah. I'm not sure it works quite as well as, say, like the two aforementioned tracks. Mm. But like, the other point of this album, I think, might go a step too far as Slave to Sa- Slave of Satan because it's just like it's 14 minutes and there's like two riffs in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Particularly because that's what comes after your catchy tracks. You just get dropped into this 14 minutes of. Just very slow guitar riffs, and that like it. It does a really nice job of building up this foreboding atmosphere mm. as well, with these sort of you know he, he does sound like a priest a lot of the time, sort of saying doom onto people, and that works really well for that. But it does last for fifteen minutes. So. Although saying that, they so their follow up album and final album, so long suckers, is a, another double album, and it's got two tracks on it that are twenty five minutes long and work brilliantly yeah but yeah, yeah I, both of them aren't quite this slow though this seems like them pushing to the outer limits of that yeah, formula yeah. of like how what's the logical conclusion of this pacing mm. and it does really give and you know on the other tracks where this happens it really gives the vocals a chance to shine and sort of build up this like doomy atmosphere within it but maybe just not quite enough variation on that track to justify how long it is yeah yeah uh, but like so, as we we mentioned, the band has now broken up, but there's quite a lot of stuff kind of revolving um, around these guys. So, both, like, the whole band are technically in a kind of more psychedelic rock band called Orn, who have a lot in common with um, Revan Bazaar. They're just nowhere near as heavy. Mm. Although, Albert is just a guest vocalist for that band. Okay, He's done yeah. two albums as just the guest singer. I really like them, but they're a bit of a hard sell because his vocals over more psychedelic rock is quite a strange yeah. format. Um, Peter also plays in Lord Vicar, who, if you want more of this, that's probably the band to go mm, for. Mm. And then Albert's got a million on one projects. So I've not listened to yeah. even a quarter of them. I remember the one you were showing me was one of his country singing projects. 
uh, or something oh, I like think, that. I think that was on. Oh, yes, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, he's also got a solo project called uh, Opium Warlords, which is really <laughs> decent. And again, like, is kind of the album I've heard seem to be taking elements of this mm. formula and slowing them down, making them more, like, experimenting with a way less kind of 70s rock guitar tone going mm. more distorted. The thing we should say about this album, it's quite an interesting one. The previous album sounded like an absolute nightmare to record because they tried to go for totally analogue recording Oof. to yeah. worship their influences. Be the true doom, yeah. Yeah, so they were having to record like 12-minute long songs where they can't edit, they can't. <laughs> so essentially they've got a crappy That's tape a player yeah. and the drummer could not make a mistake. <laughs> like, I think... Um, I think they conceded a little on this album. I'm not quite sure of the process, but um, it still really has that live band feel. Like, Yeah, definitely. I mean, so you can tell some of the sort of um, lead guitar bits are sort of added on at the end. But yeah, like it never feels as if there's loads of extra stuff coming in which you wouldn't be hearing otherwise. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And like... It locks into this sort of really organic groove as well. They just have this sort of synergy with each other which works so well. Yeah, like, there, there's something about... And maybe it's because you've got three guys who've been playing together for years. Yeah. Although, yeah. actually, they say, like, a lot of this stuff was kind of one... They Like, it gives the impression of being an album that would be jammed out. Like, mm. But actually, apparently, they all just brought kind of completed songs to the... Yeah. To the table, and that like hardly any edits were made by other musicians. I think that's one of the things about Doom, which sort of like you assume it's something that can just sort of be jammed out, but there's something that's so precise about how these riffs are done. And even for longer or slower songs, if you end up getting the riff slightly wrong and in the wrong place, it sort of ruins this sort of crushing atmosphere that you've got. Yeah, yeah, actually, like precision is ultimately key to this. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, because they went for this very analogue, very old-feeling recording, like, you listen to stuff like Doom Over the World, like, you have no idea when that was released. Like, yeah, it, yeah. that could have been released 10, 15 years before it mm, actually came mm. out. Um, but because of the, this way of recording, I think this is what finally kind of drove this band into the ground of, like, this, like, said a lot in interviews that they just hated each other after recording because they were doing these constant, like, massive takes yeah, where just, any slight error would kill it just like, the amount of stress involved in doing something like that yeah it's got to be difficult because yeah I think not long after this album Albert announced he wanted to like I think he was doing like a three album trilogy to finish it off but eventually that just got capped at one mm. album so although they've only got three albums the three albums in total are somewhere around like seven hours of music <laughs> not quite that, but yeah like yeah, just yeah. under six hours music and then they've got a load of EPs in between trying out slightly different things, mm. um, which are, like often those are like album length, like yeah, like 50 yeah. odd minutes. So <laughs> there's actually a lot in their discography to to pick up on, despite not looking like that would be yeah, the case yeah. if you had a quick like glance through the titles. Um, and yeah, as I said before, they've all gone on to do loads of other stuff. So this is hardly an end of this. It's just an end of this mm, incredibly specific... This specific uh, part of it, yeah. yeah. Um, outside of that, <laughs> uh, they have an amazing logo, but the cover of this album does kind of suck. Yeah, <laughs> I quite like it. Um, it's sort of a depiction of some Puritans um, being tied up and dragged along by a bunch of peasants and some soldiers. Yeah. Uh, like the two albums either side of this have much better covers, I'd say. Mm. Like the final one um, actually is an amazing picture of Albert's own design. Like, I think mm. he did a lot of work on the layouts. Like 
Also, the whole band works on the mix and production. This is very much mm. these three guys trying to make this sound as specifically how they want it. And yeah, like yeah. really heavily focused on that. And, and it really works. I think this is a band who were like totally unique and really interesting, but just when they were then they existed, no one really noticed. Yeah, and it's a weird one because they are trying to be this completely like quintessential doom thing, and yet they have a personality of all of their own, which mm. you can only really experience by listening to them, despite, you know, trying to do something very traditional and not really break away from it. No one really sounds like Reverend Bizarre. No one really writes riffs like they do, and definitely no one has vocals like Albert Witchfinder. Yeah, yeah, they they, they have a totally unique sound and whatever mm. kind of style they're playing, like you can always recognise their songs a mile off. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like unfortunately this never really like took off, and I think again it's as I was saying, like Doom just wasn't a big thing in the early two thousands. Yeah. Like people just didn't have the interest they have for it now. But yeah, so to leave you on this one, we don't have a lot of choice on what to play because most of the songs are so <laughs> damn long. So we're going for the shortest one on the album and probably the catchiest yeah. and second silliest on the lyric front. <laughs> this is uh, Cromwell. Uh, they're owed to uh, the English Revolution. Mm. 